You're tuned into Going Long with Bruce Murray. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my podcast. I'm Bruce Murray. It's Going Long with Bruce Murray, where we share people's love for the world of sports every week, whether they participate in the games themselves or just fans. And my subject today is a guy named Steve Cohen. And you're going to hear the name and go, who and why would I listen to this? And if you're not interested in the story I'm about to tell you, you may not want to listen to this. But Steve Cohen is the senior vice president of sports at Sirius Satellite Radio. And again, you may be saying to yourself, why would he have him on his podcast? Well, for obvious reasons, I'd like him to give me a next contract, and hopefully it will be better than my last one. And you always want to stay in good graces with your boss. But the reality is, if you have any interest in the history of sports radio, it's a conversation that you'll want to hear. Because Steve Cohen was at WFAN when it launched in 1987. And as we sit here today in 2021, if you're not old enough to remember this, you may, see, you may think that sports radio has been around forever. There's like two sports radio stations in almost every market in the country today. But there was a time that it didn't exist. It started in 1987 with WFAN in New York. Steve Cohen was there long enough to make connections that made him wanted at Sirius when they were launching NFL radio, which is where he started at Sirius XM before elevating himself to the role of senior vice president of sports. And when you consider the broadcasting landscape today, where we are with not only sports radio, but how Sirius satellite radio has impacted the lives of so many millions, if you have any interest in the background on that, you'll certainly enjoy the conversation. Here now my conversation with the senior vice president of sports, Steve Cohen. So, Steve, I will share with our audience, and let me say, there are those that would be wondering why I would want you to be uh, a subject on the podcast. But it's not just self-serving that you actually negotiate and agree to my contracts, and I want to stay here longer. Uh, you do have a great history in a business which, if you're younger than us, you think has been around forever, but it hasn't been. So I'm glad you could spend some time with me. Plus, we get to reconnect, don't we? Yeah, we do. And I kind of wondered the same thing that our audience is wondering. But if they're fans of sports radio, I think the stories that you and I will share during this podcast uh, will be welcomed uh, by the audience. You, you know, I, I do believe there's, there's a lack of real understanding of the history. And I will tell people that I was part of the first ever all sports terrestrial radio station. And they almost look at you like, no, that's not possible. I mean, it's, it's been around since radio <laughs> began. And I'm like, no, actually, it hasn't been. But now when you go from city to city, Steve, and you see not one, oftentimes two, sometimes three, you just assume it's been around forever. But you and I were there together, 1987, when WFAN launched. And I'm sure you have different memories of it than I have. But, you know, that's the reality. This is not a business that's been around forever, and yet it seems very, very mature. Yeah, and you know, the funny thing about it is, um, and I may name drop a bit during this podcast, but but that's what you these do. are all true stories and yeah. not uh, meant to protect the innocent. Um, so when I graduated from the University of Arizona in May of 1987, I took a leave of absence from K-Gun Television in Tucson and um, came back home. I had interned at WNBC Radio the summer of 1986. So I went over there to see if they were hiring. And I knocked on the office door of Mike Breen, who was working the overnight shift, and woke him up. He's like, Steve, Steve, come in, come in. I said, Mike, are they hiring? And he's like, no, but I tell you what, they're starting an all-sports talk radio station out in the story of Queens, and they're hiring, and I'll give you the program director's card. I looked at him, and I said, all-sports talk radio? That'll never work. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, uh, I was wrong. Um, two days later, I interviewed for the job as a board op tape op, and, and, I, and I got the gig because I had done a lot of work as a DJ, running boards uh, while I was in college, internships and all that stuff, and I got the job, and we were on our way. However, Bruce, as you and I both know, when we started there, I mean, this thing almost didn't make it. And I'll tell you why. And you know why. We were given a bad game plan. Oh, totally. Okay. It was 
we were given a game plan to basically produce national sports talk radio for a New York, New Jersey, Connecticut audience. And as we both know, the tri-state area, they only care about their local teams. They don't want to hear about the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the Texas Longhorns and, and all that. And so we were able to uh, overcome that and, and finally um, you know, put together a, a game plan that was uh, suited for our audience. And, and, and as we know as programmers, uh, you have to serve the audience and not you know, serve yourself. Well, and, and I think you could argue that, look, we were on really, really shaky ground for a long period of time. Um, we had a weak signal, ultimately moved over to NBC signal. But I'm not sure if we went with an all-sports morning show that it would have lasted. And I want to get into that because, look, you came to Sirius at some point, And, you know, it wasn't Howard Stern on WFAN. It was Don Imus, his adversary. And yet, you know, that probably succeeded because of that acquisition. I'm not sure that Sirius succeeds without Howard Stern. I mean, th there's a lot of similarities between the two, but I, I had to say, I didn't have the same instinct. And, and you came in, by the way, as somebody that had a position. I came into WFAN when they were just trying to figure out what to do. And my job was really working overnights and getting food. I would go to McDonald's up the block. Uh, do you want cheeseburgers? Do you want Big Macs? Do you want French fries? That was, that was my job. I didn't have time to analyze whether or not we had the right game plan. Already you were in management mode. Yeah, well, I preferred the Washington Diner and the goulash, which is probably why I became a manager and exactly. became a host, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but I don't know, you know, Greg Gumbel, Good Morning Sports was our first morning show uh, on, on WFAN, and, and, and it was a good show. But um, when, and, and I do believe that, as, as Boomer and Carton later showed, you could be number one in the mornings doing sports talk. Uh, but 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 um, when we brought a legend in like Don Imus and flipped the switch from 1050 to 66, 660, right, um, the former home of WNBC, um, that gave us power in the morning, power on the radio sticks that everyone can get us. And especially at night, we go all the way to Ohio and close to Florida and, and all that. So it was a very, very powerful 50,000 watt uh, signal. So, so those, those, those two, and I, you know, I credit MS, MS Broadcasting for that and Jeff Smullyan, uh, it was just a, a tremendous acquisition. Uh, by yeah, and listen, I, I agree. I think, look, you know, times have changed and there's sports radio stations in every market, all of whom do sports in the morning and some very successfully. And as you just said, you, you've proven that you can, but you may not agree with this. I don't think at the time the audiences were prepared for that. There was kind of the nature of the beast in the morning, what people expected. And fair or not, what we ultimately did in the mornings, and Greg Gumbel, they don't come any nicer, by the way. I, I think you'd agree. There, there aren't too many people on the planet nicer than Greg Gumbel. But as you said, it was a formulaic kind of, you know, sit behind an anchor desk, throw to this, get a story there. What ultimately became a sports talk is personality-driven radio. And it was not personality-driven radio. I don't know that we needed Don Imus to kind of set up the rest of the day and make it a part of the New York landscape. And then ultimately you could transition out of it and get the sports talk in the morning. Oh, I agree. And there's no doubt about that. And he sets you up for, for the rest of the day, right? Much the way, listen, play-by-play -play became so important to us. We had the Mets back then. Eventually we would get the, uh, the New York Jets and the New York Giants and, and there's something to be said for when people turn off their radios on Sunday uh, to go back in the house, leaving a football game, and then you wake up Monday to commute to work, and you turn on your radio, and it's set to 660, right? And, and so we've got that audience. So, oh, they, yeah, there's, there's no doubt. You know, we had a lot of talent, but a bad game plan. You know, Jim Lampley is an amazing talent, right? Now, we were waiting for Pete Franklin to come in. Along the way, we had the late great Tom Meese fill in, which was so special. Wonder, you know, George Grand, I got to work with George Taco Grand, um, who was so special, the steamer, Bud Ferrillo. Um, but we had a lot of talent there in, in Eddie Coleman and, and Susan Waldman and Steve Summers and, and so many others. And then when Pete Franklin came in, he brought personality, right? But 
the thing about Pete was, um, and I, I loved him to death. You know, he's no longer with us. Yeah, but, um, but, but, but before you tell you what you loved about Pete, people should know Pete Franklin was a larger-than-life personality out on the West Coast. Well, that's right. Well, nope. three, it was 3WE in Cleveland first, right? right? He eventually then, did, did do very well in San Francisco. Um, but Pete was a lot of showman, shtick, right? As opposed to hardcore X's and O's. Right. Um, and, and again, we talk about serving the fan, right? Well, I think the fans were a little bit different in 1987 than they are today because, um, you know, more fans back then were so rabid, they couldn't eat after their team lost, right? Uh, I think you have fewer of those fans um, today. But, um, but Pete was, I, I just thought he was brilliant. And I learned a lot about radio and life from Pete. And I know he came, you know, he came across as acerbic and, and all that, but, but he was a gentle, thoughtful, giving man. And, um, and I owe a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, I do want to at some point get to the fact that you became part of what is arguably to this day still the greatest terrestrial sports talk radio show that radio has ever seen, Mike and the Mad Dog, whether or not it's known around the country and to the entire audience of this podcast. That's just the reality by it, behind it being in New York as long as it was on. Um, but, you know, again, as you said, before we even got to that point, there were a lot of moving parts trying to figure out what an audience would want, try to figure out if we could stay. And I will say this, and I don't know if you, you share in the same sense of pride that I have for just being part of that, but I remember some of the ups and downs. And I remember the guys that we became friends with that we liked. I remember the guys that we had to work with that we didn't necessarily like, that were moved in and out. But there is something special about sharing that, that story, that you're part of something. Listen, I went to interview with our program director. You meant, nobody knows the name, but his name was John Pruder. Yes. I'll never forget. I've shared this story before. Uh, I was working for my dad at the time, interning at night at a local New York sports, Sports Channel New York. You can remember that. They did Mets and stuff. And I said, I'm going to interview for a, a, a job at an all sports radio station. He said the same thing you did. He goes, you'll be back here in a week. And I, <laughs> and I said, don't, don't, don't give my desk away just yet. And I think we all had that same instinct. And I remember walking in. I tell this story to a lot of people. I walked into John Pruder's office. It was a tiny little office, you know, off a hallway. And I don't believe he looked up from his desk. I sat down and he said, I've got one job. It's 11 to 7. It pays $200 a week. Do you want it? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, okay, be here for a meeting on Wednesday. And I got back on the train, went into New York City, and I said to my dad, I think I have a job. I'm not 100% sure, <laughs> but I'm going to go to this meeting. I'm going to go to this meeting on Wednesday. <laughs> and I said, and, and if it's not for me, if you want the job, because he doesn't know what I look like. He never, never looked yeah. me in the face. <laughs> and that's kind of how everything was thrown together back then. I mean, it was just nobody knew how to do this. We, had, we were overemployed. We had way too many people, if you remember. They had to fire a lot of people at the beginning. But there yeah. was some beauty in all of that, wasn't there? Well, there was. It was almost a combination of WKRP in Cincinnati and the Mary Tyler Moore show, yeah. right? with Mr. Grant, uh, you know, John Pruder playing Mr. Grant and, 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 and all the cast of characters. I'll tell you the one thing they got right, though, from the start. They had like five executive producers who were all tried and true radio people. And we learned from those people, Joe Babin, Janet Spaulding, uh, Barb Silber, Bob Gelb, uh, and Len Weiner. We learned from these people. Jim you know? Nadelka, what was his role? He was, he was, uh, oh, G Jim Nadelka. Can I yeah. tell you my Jim Nadelka story? Do you remember the day well, we, had... we, we have, we have to provide some premise to this? We have an audience so, that's going, who's Jim Nadelka? Okay. So Jim Nadelka was at time, he, at the time, he was running the Mets broadcast. Okay. Right. Which, as we know, nighttime baseball is mostly at night. He was running the board and producing, um, uh, for Mets broadcasts. And then when Howie Rose, Young Howie Rose uh, would do a talk show. Jim would, would produce and run the board for that, too. So we're sitting up in what would eventually become the Kaufman Astoria Studios commissary. And Jeff Smullyan is addressing the troops, you know, the owner. And, and finally, they're going to give us our schedules to tell us who we're going to work with, right? So they give me my schedule. And I look down, and I see 3 to midnight, okay? You're going to cut tape early in the day. And then 7 to midnight, for five hours, you're going to run the board. And I'm like, I'm looking, I was like, all right, I'm running the board. Who's the producer? Jim Nadelka. 
So I turned to Jim Nadelka and I was like, hey, Jim, Steve Cohen, uh, I guess I'll be working with you. Um, I was like, who's running the board for you now? He's like, oh, nobody. I'd run it myself. I said, oh, so I guess, I guess you're looking forward to the help. Turns to me and says, not really. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, okay. I, I, see what, I, see, I see where this is headed. So now Jim was part of WHN, right? Yeah. He had just seen all his friends get fired. Right. Not a pleasant experience, you know? But anyway, uh, he didn't have to crap on me at that moment. Um, but, but he did, and, and eventually I would say it's all. I'm getting a sense that uh, that was the high point of your relationship. <laughs> uh it wasn't the low point <laughs> <laughs> that that's saying something but yeah. you know so, so the whole thing went through a lot of transitions no but we did eventually become friends okay you did, you did eventually become friends. yes we did that, that's good to know um but but so you flash forward and then you have those hours and you're asked to run the board on a show and that show went through some changes too but ultimately settled on a guy that now works with us as serious christopher mad dog russo uh, and Mike Francesa. Yeah. And I will admit, like every young kid, you know, we're supposed to be smarter than everybody else. Why are they hiring these guys? Who is this guy? I've never heard of him. And you're part of that. Your producer, if I'm not mistaken, was Bob Gelb. That's right. The guy that we're still friends with this today. Still works at WFAN, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, sales And, and um, like, when, when that happened, and you played no role in the pairing, you weren't, you know, in, nope. in any way a talent. You, you, were, you were an engineer. Um, what did, you, what did you think the first time you heard them together? Well, it's funny because, you know, Mad Dog's voice hasn't changed, right? And, you know, here I am. I go, to, I go away to college. Um, and I thought I was going to be a DJ, working TV, whatever. And I want to get rid of that New York accent, you know? And here I come back and they put me with these two guys. One guy, Mike Francesa, with this heavy New York accent. And another guy who uh, would struggle with the English language, you know? And his <laughs> own does. In, in his own special way. So I was like, well, this is very, very different. But, but what I will say is, um, yes, they were different, but they like to have fun. We all like to have fun. And, you know, early on, um, it was so great working with them because we all were really invested in the show. You know, we'd have meetings every morning, um, uh, mostly on the phone. And, you know, we'd all say what we think we should do and, and all that, you know, and of course, the host would eventually decide. But Bob and I always felt like we had skin in the game and worked our butts off to do whatever we could for the show. And, um, and they were great to us. And, and, and it eventually took off. And the reason it took off is because they had the formula. They knew how to talk to the New York audience, how to give the people what they wanted in a very passionate, knowledgeable, entertaining way. And, and they absolutely nailed it. But, but I've always said about them, because I think, you know, we've sat in meetings together where people try to, you have bosses that will tell you, this is what needs to be done. That, that's what needs to be done. This is what works. They worked because they had chemistry and they were themselves. Nothing was created for them. It just, it was, it was one of those organic things that naturally worked. Trying to duplicate it is virtually impossible. And I've always said this about this business. You hire people because you think they're going to be good. And once they are, let them do what they want. If they don't get the break right, who cares? You know, I mean, they, didn't, they weren't perfect radio people. They're still not perfect radio people. I listen to Mad Dog a lot. He's an awful radio person. Oh, did I say that? Well, we'll let that out after. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter. You like him. And, and it's always been frustrating because you'll hear people tell you, this is the way it needs to be done. The reality, they worked because there was something that meshed together that cannot be recreated. Yeah, I think early on they tried to outdo each other a little bit, but then they realized, you know, what am I doing? Um, the one thing I'll say is neither of them changed, be, be, you know, because of the other guy. Yeah, at first they tried to outdo each other and, and out, you know, outknowledge each other and, and all those things. But, but then, hey, look, when you're doing five hours, five and a half hours in the studio together, I mean, that's amazing to think we were doing that every day, you know, amazing. So, um, but, but the chemistry was there. The chemistry was there because it all started because they were both rabid sports fans, you know, and they loved it and they couldn't get enough of it. And this is pre-computers. This is, 
you know, we're back sports ticker, ripping off the wire, you know, the AP wire. You know, you wanted to score, you had to, you know, call Charlie Lemmix at the Sky Dome and say, Charlie, what's the Blue Jays score? Oh, Richard, let me get to that score. It's a 3 2 uh, Blue Jays. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, Charlie Lemmix is one of my favorites. Charlie, the Sky Dome is on fire. Run, all right, sure. I'll be out of here in five minutes. But by the way, you said you were going to be dropping names. I didn't think the names you'd be dropping would be Charlie Lennox. I mean, I thought you'd be doing. A, I thought you'd be going a little higher on the bar from that one. But all right, well, you know, we have time. We'll get to it. I've dropped Tom Meese. I dropped George Taco Grand. I, you know, that's some time. Let, let me ask you this before we get to serious. You're part of really a legendary radio show in New York, and what comes with that. People may not really understand this, but when you're behind the scenes and people learn what you do, there's a fascination that comes with that. I'm sure anytime somebody came and said, well, will you do what? Well, what's he like? What's he like? Tell me. And they all want to know, are they different off the air? Are they different on the air? You know, they all want to know, is it made up? Who's giving them all the answers? I mean, was that something you embraced or did it get tiresome at times? No, I, I loved it. Um, because I've always been a people person and, you know, I, I talk to everyone, right? You have? From, uh, except well. for you. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> look, remember we go play the softball games, right? The WFAN 66ers, we travel all over the place and we go out for beers and, and hang out. We talk to the fans. And um, so we always embraced it and, and it was fun. And Mike was great and Chris was great. And, and so, yeah, we always embraced it. And, and um, you, you know, and then, when my wife was doing traffic for I miss Eileen Marchese Cohen, um, it, it became even bigger in our relationship on the air and, and, and all that. And yes, we are still married, um, uh, happily married. Did I leave out <laughs> yes. the happily? Uh, <laughs> Inserted, yes. But, I'm not a go along. By, by the way, that's, you know, 29 years, that's, yeah, you know, that's a marriage. You're so, married a long time now. Um, as have you. Um, so, so, with that said, the funny part about it was, after I left, and we'll get back to the fan, I'm not leaving the fan yet, but I'm sitting in um, my buddy's garage, getting the oil changed and getting some stuff done in the car. Guy comes in, delivery guy, he looks at me, he's like, hey, aren't, aren't you Steve Cohen? I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, you left the fan. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. He's like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, um, well, believe it or not, even though I was really popular on the radio, wasn't making very much money. Yeah. I got a job that, that paid me more, that gave me an opportunity to put my stamp on something. So that's why I left. And he just looked at me and shook his head, kind of like, yeah, what a big mistake. And then yeah. walked out. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> unaccepting of the finances because the idea, if you were in New York at the time and they were the only game in town, leaving that success it, it's it's not something that anybody would do no it's mind-boggling because people looked at what what i was doing as a dream job and listen bruce here's the bottom line i you know doing this what 34 years now i've never rolled out of bed dreading going to work i've, I've never you know i love my job i love what i do i love you know being on the uh you know on on the creative of these things right so so from that standpoint you know um you know, that's the measure of success for me, right, is, is the fact that I love my job. But eventually, you need to be able to pay the bills, too, right? Yeah. Send kids to college, the whole nine yards. So, um, but, but it's just amazing to see the, the growth of sports talk radio. And I owe a lot to Mike and Chris, and I owe a ton uh, to Mike especially because he hired me as his researcher. You know, Mike came from a research background, doing a lot of work with Jimmy the Greek, and Brent Musburger over at CBS. And, and so I did a lot of research for Mike. And then Mike brought me on to his TV show that he was about to do with Bill Parcells as the chief researcher. And that started a very long relationship with me and Parcells when I became Parcells' personal researcher for many years. Um, and then, you know, when Bill went back to coaching and the show was no longer, that got me into writing because I had so much information that, you know, next thing I know, I'm a columnist in the New York Daily News and three other newspapers and then started a newsletter and then the internet and all that. So, um, so Mike, Mike got me going on all that. And, and, um, and I'm, I'm very appreciative uh, to Mike. So I want to get to, you know, you know, transitioning to Sirius because much like going to work at an all sports radio station, I'm sure there's a moment when you go, well, this, 
this can't possibly make it. I mean, there were times when we're not sure if, even when I started at, at uh, Sirius, you know, 12 years ago, I, I, we didn't know if we would make it. But, you know, everybody knows the history of Mike and the Mad Dog if you're in New York. And if you don't, it was a successful relationship for a long period of time, but ultimately fell apart. And as you said, you spend five and a half hours in the same room with somebody. It's like a marriage. Yeah. I mean, I, I've done radio shows with partners for a long period of time. I don't care how much you like the guy. There are yeah. days you walk out and you're like, I don't want to talk to you again until tomorrow. I yeah. don't want to see you. I don't want to know anything about it. When did you start to see things starting to crack? To, to, and, and I'm not just talking about on a daily basis where it was just something that you'd be over the next day, but that no, was ultimately going to lead to the end. No, I didn't see it. I'll tell you why. I left. You know, once we got the Jets rights, they made me executive producer of weekend programming and the traveling producer for the Jets. Mike would put me on his Sunday show doing the injury reports. Now I have on-air work. Um, and that eventually led to me being a host, syndicated host for Westwood One, Fox Sports Radio. Um, so I left the show at that point. And then, then I you know, spent uh, the better part of the next 10, 12 years um, running weekends and, 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 and producing um, radio networks for, for the NFL on, on WFAN's behalf. So I didn't see it. And then, you know, I, I, I heard about this satellite radio thing going on. And the reason I heard about it is because they were looking for somebody to start and run a 24-hour NFL talk channel. And I'm like, well, I could do that. And so um, the Super Bowl in Houston between the Patriots and the Panthers, um, I, 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 I became friendly with Robert Kraft over the years of, you know, when he became the Patriots owner and I was doing the Jet broadcast and all that. So um, I asked to meet with him because he had done the deal with Sirius. And, um, and I sat with Mr. Kraft and, and, and I said, hey, you know, what do you think? Is this thing going to work? He's like, look, Steve, we're behind satellite radio. Um, if it doesn't work on Sirius, it'll go to XM. But one of the two companies is going to make it. We'll be with the company that makes it. Take the job. So, so I took the job. And, um, and, 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 and it's, been, it's been amazing. But I think the thing, as, as somebody being a rabid Raider fan, living out of market, who would listen to Raider games on a 900 number, I knew the importance of being able to hear any Raider game anywhere you are in the country. And that goes for every NFL fan that could do that. That was big to me. That resonated with me. So I joined a company that had 250,000 subscribers. And I, I told Eileen, look, we're going to go at it. We're going to do this. Doesn't work out. We could end up elsewhere. But I got to take this chance because it gives me a chance to put my stamp on something, uh, to, to, to use my philosophy in terms of what I think a really good uh, lead partnered channel should sound like in the NFL. And, and so, you know, it, uh, it's amazing to think where we are today compared to where we were back in 2004. Yeah, and, and uh, amazing that you listen to um, Raiders games on 900 numbers. Now you use those 900 numbers for something completely different, I assume. Well, uh, no, I actually made a lot of money off those 900 numbers doing my injury reports because oh, you did, yeah, computer uh, and all that, and I do my injury reports on the yeah. 900. Numbers. Well, during COVID 19, there there's a completely different I, use for them. I don't want to. I into did. It. I did gain audience by being a heavy breather, but I've overcome that. <laughs> you did. <laughs> so you know, I, I'm fascinated. 250,000 subscribers. Think about yeah. that. Yeah. Who? I mean, when you went to Sirius, and this must have been what 19? Give me the year. What year? I went to Sirius in 2004. Oh, 2004. Okay, so 2004, yeah. there's 250,000 subscribers. Stern came in 06? I don't even know. 05? No, I think it was 05. It was, okay. it, was, it was late, maybe even late. The announcement, I think, was late in 04, if I remember correctly, and then, and then 05, yeah. Okay, yeah. but you're taking this job. I remember we had to build the studio for him. Right, you know? but, but you're, you're taking this job without knowing that he's coming. So there's 250,000 right. subscribers. Yeah. You're telling people that you're leaving the job that you have to go to Sirius. I'd love to know, A, are you getting the same reaction that you got when you started at WFAN 1? And number two is, uh, did people even know what Sirius was? No, they couldn't pronounce it. You know, every time I told Gil Brandt about it, he'd say, you're going to take that job at Cyrus? I'm like, it's Sirius, and yes, I'm going to take the job. So uh, people, people didn't, yeah. I mean, um, listen, you know, the, the thing I was thinking about was, you know, was having my chance finally to put my stamp on something. 
And I was going to host daily, which I did with some great people like Chris Carter. Um, so I just, you know what, this was my opportunity to put my stamp on something and, and to dive headlong into it. And, and yeah, there was some nerves. And like I said to my wife, I was like, look, my writing is doing really well. The website's doing well. Got a lot of different things that, that I could put my focus towards if this doesn't work out. And um, so I'm just going to go for it. And, and, and thankfully, it, it uh, exceeded my expectations. So, so, and now Sirius, and you manage all of this, has how many sports channels? Oh, over 14 sports talk channels that we produce. Right. So, so when you first got here and you're launching to an audience of 250,000, and I think everybody, I get asked this all the time. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. How many people are listening? And my response is, well, we have this many subscribers. Right. We have no idea who's listening. No idea. <laughs> and, and the first thing they go is, wait a second, isn't it a technology company? I'm like, don't even ask. But you're running a channel with 250,000 subscribers to a platform that, if I'm not mistaken, was primarily for music. Did you have any idea right. how many people were listening to a channel that was no, all and I didn't, and about I didn't the NFL? Care. I didn't care. Um, you know, it was CD radio before it became a satellite radio. And you're right, it was programmed for music. But I can honestly say I don't program differently um, to 35 million subscribers from what I did to 250,000 subscribers. And I will tell you, from day one, the lifeblood of satellite radio were the truckers. They were amazing. They're wonderful, big-time sports fans. And, and I remember one day that you know Chris Carter, we couldn't get his line working or whatever. And I, and I said to the audience, I'm going to need to rely on you for calls. Okay, It's you and I today. And, and we got to do this. And it was a great show, amazing show. And, and, um, and, I, and I just got off the phone with, before this podcast with Pat McAfee, and I was just telling him that um, how important truckers were and continue to be for our service. They're, in my eyes, they'll always be the lifeblood of, of Sirius XM and satellite radio. And, uh, and they're amazing because they, they're driving across this country. They're doing just thankless work important work and and so many of them are such big sports fans that they never miss a game because they have satellite radio and they're as knowledgeable as anyone and i just you know i can't say enough about you know, you know the truckers that move this country you know th this podcast is for people either involved in sports or people who just have a love for the game for the world of sports you're, you're both because you said you're a raiders fan you know the truth is i've known you for a long time i know your passion for the raiders i have no idea what other teams you like I really? have no idea. Huh. But what are the other teams that you like? Twins, Minnesota Twins. I knew, okay, so I know the Twins. If you rattle them off, I may go, oh, yeah, I know you like the Twins. Chicago Bulls, and don't say I like the Bulls. Uh, no, you liked them before. Tom Borwinkle, all right? Yeah. Bob yeah. Love was my favorite player as a kid. Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan, Bob Weiss, okay? Right. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, big Maple uh, Leafs fan. So you're a typical New York fan. Well, <laughs> they're the, but the Maple Leafs are the only team in my lifetime who haven't won anything, thanks to your but, stinking eyes. How does somebody who grows up in New York become a Maple Leafs, Bulls, Twins, Raiders fan? I fell in love with the logos. I fell in love with the logos. I just, you know, there was Weren't a you surrounded by, by, guy, by men who could guide you down the proper paths, be it friends and or family members? That would no. take you to a game? No? You had none of that in your life? No. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you you so, needed it. <laughs> yeah. So I remember going to a sporting goods store in, um, in Mount Vernon and they had all the different uh, helmets lined up. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then I get a copy of Sports Illustrated and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just falling in love with the colors, right? And Sunoco back in the day, they used to have this, this, this booklet and you go to Sunoco and they give you stickers to put the players' faces in the booklet and you fill up all the teams and then you'd have all the teams, right? Well, when I saw Daryl LaMonica, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and I saw that Raider helmet and that uniform and that look on his face. I took my jet helmet, I painted it silver, I rode in the black, and I was a Raider fan. That, 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 that's it. That was it. So I would ask you, because people ask me this, and I'm honest about it. I, I grew up as a fan, more traditionally as a New Yorker, of the Islanders, the Nets, the yeah. Yankees, and the Giants. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be, just right. to want a little help. But yeah. But I, I will say, working in this business as long as I have, I, I haven't lost a passion. I still like my teams, but it doesn't keep me up at night. And it's, it's upsetting to some people 
from time to time. My kids, by the way, are like I was as a kid. I know yeah. you as a Raiders fan. Do losses still keep you up at night? No, no. And, and, and it's gotten even, you know, being a Raider fan, we've been so bad for so long. Fantasy football has become such an important part of my life. Yeah, I'm rooting for the Raiders to win. But if I did start the opposing quarterback, which I have on many, many occasions, because it's been many years since we had a decent secondary, uh, yeah, I do root for the other guy to score for me. Okay, I'm rooting for two that. teams, my fantasy team and the Raiders. Okay, it's that simple. But no, um, I cried after the Immaculate Reception. I cried, which we all know it wasn't a catch. Okay. Well, um, my it, uncle it was a catch. Teased but... He teased me after that. Yeah. And I hated him ever since that game. God rest his soul. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you bring up something that's interesting though with fantasy football because there's, I'm, I'm not one that clings to, I'm not one of these old school, oh, so much better when I was younger kind of guys, which we all want to be. But there are people that think fantasy f- football has ruined the game of football. And what I, what I try to say is, hasn't really ruined it it's created a generation of people that will look at it differently like it for different reasons but that doesn't make it any better and they go well they're not fans of teams now my sons play fantasy football but they love their teams they love their teams now they would not play a quarterback against the giants like you would so that to me is like a violation of sports fandom listen when al davis traded ken stabler to the oilers for dan pastorini all that went out the window Oh, really? All that went out the window. All right. Now you're rooting for the uniform and not the players. So when I root for the players, it's on my fantasy team. Okay. So if the owners can do it and not pick up fifth year options and all that, I can do whatever the hell I want (laughs) as a sports fan. And the thing I'll tell you about fantasy football, if you talk to fantasy football fans who play, okay, they know more about football than anyone because they're studying. They'll name all 22 starters. Right? They'll name the backups of all the skill position players because they know it. They live it. They breathe it. They love it. So, But their passion isn't for laundry. It's for their team. Yes. And, and, and I still I'm not, haven't I'm not, forgiven. And I'll I'm, never forgive Al Davis, God rest his soul, for creating the snake. Henson. You know, you, you keep referring to a lot of people who have passed away. Are you going to talk about anybody still living at some point? <laughs> Getting old. <laughs> so so, so when, when, when in your mind, though, did Sirius become – was it after the merger? You know, there were two separate companies for those that don't realize it. There was a Sirius, there was an XM. XM was actually the more successful outlet, more subscribers. Yeah. Um, they had the GM deal. GM uh, deal the, was big. They had the GM, they had a car deal. But, yeah. but when in your mind did you feel like, yeah, this is going to be around for the future? I knew we had a great product um, after a couple, three, four years, right? Um, when we merged, we almost went bankrupt because you have to pay off all the debt, right? When you do a merger, you have to pay off all the debt. And Lord knows there was a lot of debt between the two satellite radio companies. Yeah. Um, I think when, when the new ownership, you know, I'll never forget getting that email on the train that we had sold, um, partial ownership, eventually all ownership, um, to our, our, our new owners. Um, and then all the debt went away. And, and then I was like, you know, we're on our way. We're on our way. And so what is that about maybe nine, 10 years ago now? Um, so that's when I knew now we got a shot. Okay, now we're not in satellite wars where we're overpaying to get people to keep one from the other, right? Um, it became digital wars, but now <laughs> no more satellite wars. But that's when I knew we're in good shape. We had the right people. We had the right ownership. Um, you know, we've had wonderful CEOs all the way since I got there and Joe Clayton, Mel Karmas and Jim Meyer and now Jennifer Witz. Um, so, um, so I never wavered in, in, in my feelings about, you know, the future of the company. I think that's when I really felt like, okay, this, I, you know, you know, I'll be here as long as I want to be here and, and have a job. So, so here we are now in 2020, 21. I'm not sure when this podcast will run, but sometime in the next year, 12 months. You listen to all the podcasts, right? You are my boss. Never, I never miss one. Tune in every week. You never miss yeah, an episode. Never miss one. Never. <laughs> and, and you have to do something that nobody's ever done. I will share with you that Sirius was ahead of the game when it came to being able to broadcast from outside of a facility. 
most people find out that I've been working from home and they're like, well, do you have a studio? And of course I embellish it. Oh, I have a big studio. They came in. They don't realize how simple it is to work from home, but yeah. we're now living through a pandemic and all of a sudden the nature of all businesses have changed and something that you've done on a small scale had to be taken to a large scale and nobody was coming into a business, into the building. And I'd love to know like at what point the powers that be got together to determine what the path forward was going to be and what the undertaking was. Was it simple because the technology is there and you just had to get the equipment to everybody? Or was it something that was overwhelming at the beginning last March? I, I, I think, you know, two things. First off, the sports department was in a better position um, to program remotely than anyone else because we've been doing it for so long with so many hosts from day one i had isdns put in people's homes right you remember when we started at wfan they were flying people in from san francisco and houston to host weekends yeah right yeah. flying well, people in from houston that was john o'reilly right was john o'reilly yeah, yeah yeah so um so we had isdn so we'd been doing that however um i'm really proud to have been part of um you know the emergency team headed up by our CEO, Jim Meyer. And, um, and, um, and Doug Mortman has done an amazing job from a technical standpoint. You know, years ago, when after, right after the merger, you know, the engineering teams were the slowest, I think, to come together. And I put Doug in a role where he would oversee our needs and bring those to engineering and then evolve into a sports operations department and now he runs ops for 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 you know news talk sports and 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 some with music so doug's done an amazing job look we were in a great position to have hosts work from home because they were used to that most of them um except for on mad dog and and you know you you know so um but now we're producing and board hopping from home which is amazing so during these meetings, we talked about the investments that would be made to allow us to continue to do this program. Let's not forget, um, when we had no sports, right? As radio people, we had to figure out how to program. And so our sports talk show hosts became talk show hosts. Now, NFL and Mad Dog were in good shape. It was March, free agency was starting, all of a sudden Tom Brady announcement, he's gone, gives us something to talk about, we pre preview the draft. We've got content. We do our first um, virtual draft, which is really hard to do, really came off well because the NFL is an extraordinary partner um, and it worked out great. So, you know, then eventually, you know, different sports came back and I thank God for NASCAR. I thank God for Kevin Harvick, you know, lying in my bed one night and all of a sudden I get a text from Harvick saying, hey buddy, how you doing? I said, good, how are you? He's like, I'm bored. He's like, let's get the band back together. Let's start the show up again. Because he, was, wasn't, he didn't do the show this year at first because he wanted to concentrate on driving. And that he did by you know, having nine, nine wins this year. Um, I was like, sure, when do you want to start? He's like, how about next week? Great, drop some paperwork, get it to you, let's go. And we did. So, um, but it's been amazing. And then you know, PGA Tour came back and then, and then you know, some of the league sports came back you know the stick and ball sports so um so then we we got through it and we got away from talking about tiger king and but again so <clears throat> i only got through one episode of tiger king by the way you only made it through one yeah that's all it took me to realize yeah they're all freaks i don't need to watch six more episodes of it yeah okay yeah. so uh <laughs> all you cats and kittens Ooh, cats and kittens. um yeah. but 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 we got away from that but you know what bruce then we had to get back to the basis of programming you know, and I and I, I talked to my boss about it and, and I said, look, you know, radio is different than any other medium. OK, we become family to our listeners. And if those listeners are in their cars and they don't hear their family members, OK, and they don't care about what they're talking about, if they like them as a host. I mean, you're my commuting partner, right? They want to hear from me, whether it's Tiger King or whatever, or the trials and tribulations of going through life during this COVID era, they want to hear what I'm dealing with. I want to hear what you're dealing with. We want to share, we want to commiserate, right? And so um, it was a winning formula. 
because um, my boss agreed to let us do that. And a lot of the shows early because we couldn't have people in the studios were taped. I had morning drive guys taping at night. What was the difference? I mean, there were no games happening. But I got to tell you, I've never been prouder of a staff uh, than I am of our Sirius XM team and what we've done. People working six and seven days a week to, you know, create programming. And, you know, a guy that started with us at, at WFAN, Eric Spitz, he's my VP of sports in New York. Um, he and I and Chris Eno, who's our VP of sports in D.C., uh, we spent the whole weekend just brainstorming ideas and what we could do um, and then presented those ideas. And, and, and we got some approvals. It took a while, but we got the approvals. And. And we got with the team and we implemented and um and i think everyone to a man to a woman um have never been prouder of what we've been able to accomplish during this horrific period in time you know i i think you'd agree that that all businesses now are trying to forecast the future how life has changed due to COVID, whether it's businesses that will not be bringing people back into offices and giving away their space because you don't need to anymore it makes me wonder, not just from the radio business, but in your mind, will this change the way sports are presented? Not the games themselves, but I'll give you an example. There's not going to be a Super Bowl week this year. There's not going to be Radio Row. And they're yeah, going to do actually, something. Actually, there's going to be a Radio Row. There is going to be. There's not going to be many people. We're going to send, we'll, we'll probably send one show. Right. And, but, As but, opposed but, to six channels. Right. But the celebrities aren't going to be there because they don't right. want to be around everything. Things will be done on right. Zoom. And right. people get accustomed to it and go, wait, I can save money and keep them home. Do you yeah. foresee this impacting the way things are done in the future with presenting yes. some of these events? Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, you know, most vis visiting radio broadcasts for the NFL are being done from studios, not from stadiums. Okay. So, um, and that's a heavy lift. Um, but yeah, I do, I do see this changing the landscape. Um, look, a satellite rate, we've been really lucky. You know, um, companies done well, the churn is down, um, but we're subscription based, right? And sales is a plus. Um, for terrestrial radio stations that rely only on sales without uh, a subscription base, I could only imagine what they're going through in terms of um, do they keep their studio space? How do they do this? Do they need this, you know, big facility and all that? So those are going to be tough decisions. You know, I remember years ago when when um, they were calling the World Cup off of monitors, I believe it was at ESPN. They were the first to do it. We did it this year for the U.S. Open, right? We had guys calling the U.S. Open off of, of camera monitors, and, and it worked brilliantly. You get the natural sound, theater of the mind. Um, so as long as you're accurate and you could still provide um, that information in a way that people are used to getting it, you know, with passion and emotion, uh, in some cases being a homer. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think it affects the audience at all, and, and it could save a lot of companies a lot of money. So I do think the landscape of, of how radio uh, stations do business uh, will continue to change. Is there a next step in this process? I mean, if we reach the end of the way we can deliver, I'm talking about radio now, I'm not talking about you know, sports, I'm, I'm talking about, we had terrestrial radio, we're now on satellite radio, we've become so, so hyper-focused, we have a football channel and a racing channel, and we have conference channels, there's a channel for everything. Is there a next step to this process? I mean, is, is it podcasting? I mean, what is the well, next I think step it is. delivering content? I think video and podcasting are the two next steps, and, and we're into that now, right? Um, so, um, you know, I don't know where podcasting will will go. Um, I think if it's done right, it's 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 pretty cool. It's storytelling. It's kind of books on tape with more passion, more emotion, more entertainment value. So, um, so I, I, you know, I'm going to be interested to see where this whole podcasting thing goes because for us, you know, SiriusXM, and of course we we bought Stitcher, and I look forward to working with those folks. Um, you know, we jumped in as far as what we produced for the sports department. We launched our first six uh, sports podcasts. Um, well, not really not the first six because we already had been doing a bunch of them, including yours, Greg McElroy's, Adam Shines. But we, we, the first two series, Podversaries, which we did five of, uh, five different subjects about rivalries, whether it be teams 
or players, drivers. Um, and Mad Dog's Digging Up the Past, which was uh, the first uh, series of that, focused on the history of NFL Thanksgiving Day football. And I think every one of them was, was done brilliantly. And I'll tell you why. Because we had radio programmers and we had um, tremendous archives and the ability to do interviews and get the highlights and all that to really put together some compelling things. So folks listening, I urge you to download any of our podversaries and Mad Dogs digging up the past. So that's a big deal. But to me, the video is very important because it gives us a way to market uh, through social media. You know, the, the audio could never compete with the video when it comes to marketing and social media. So video's given us that opportunity. And by the way, the COVID era with the Zoom and the interviews, we've got video. Yeah. That's given us an opportunity. But, but, but let me ask it in a different way then, because you know this, when it comes to television today, when you and I were growing up, if there was a show that you liked, it was appointment television. Because if you weren't in front of the set at nine o'clock, you were gonna miss yeah. that episode. And if you wanna know who shot JR, you had to be there at that time. If you wanted to see the next episode of Happy Days, now nobody watches anything live unless it's a sporting event because you can't not know the score. That was the other thing. Right. You, could tape a, you could tape a game when we were kids, not know the score and watch it. Today with your phone in your hand, you're updated every second. But you've seen it with a generation or two behind us. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not listening to the radio. They're not you know, the, the, the truckers are always going to be there until we get the driverless trucks. And if Elon Musk has his way, that'll be sooner than later. And we're all going to be in trouble. But what, <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen too soon. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we have to acknowledge, I always use Kodak, Kodak as an example. You know, when, when digital cameras are being introduced, they said, ah, it's a fad, it'll never last. And now, of course, they're out of business. And there's this idea that, no, people are always going to want radio. I don't know if my kid's generation will. And everything is going to be, what can I listen to now on my time on demand? Do, do you see a time when live radio is not necessary? TV's trending that way because what do you need? You don't need to be anywhere. You press a button and you just pick a menu and you go. Will, will there come a time when nothing needs to be done live anymore that you can just I don't think so. I think, I think news, sports, weather, um, we all need to know what's going on. Right? Those we, we need. need. I agree. Now, you know? So I don't think that ever, that ever goes away. Uh, music is timeless. Right. I mean, you know, so um, but um, no, I don't think it ever leaves. I, I just, you know, we talked about, you know, being in the car. Right. Oh, and now, you know, you got all these different things you could choose from in the car and it hasn't hurt Sirius XM. We keep gaining audience share in the car, you know, which is wonderful. It's a tribute to our programming. Um, you know, with the comedy channels, you want to laugh, you put on a comedy channel. Sports, we got it. Right. Howard music um so no i don't i don't ever think it goes away and i don't you know I, I i'm not one to say you know what's new is better than than what's old right um and oftentimes it's it's repackaged in a different way remember when they gave you know when cds came out i always say cds was the biggest fraud perpetrated on the american public why because they said it was higher quality bs it was lower quality. right Nothing sounds as good as a good album, well-produced album, the highs, the lows, the texture, nothing. But it made the music company a lot more money, the music companies, because it was cheaper to package, cheaper to ship, cheaper to store. You could keep more of them in, in the stores, right? So it was an absolute fraud. And now, guess what? Nobody has a CD anymore, right? You're, on CD. You're not getting a car with a CD player in it anymore. Now everything is streaming and and all that, and originally the streams were for crap, right? Now it's higher quality streams being produced for streams, right, albums, so, so it's very different. So yeah, it's, it's all ever changing, but like I said, um, you know, right now, if I wanna listen to music and if I can get, you know, I'm in, I'm in love with Chris Stapleton's new album and I'm, I've gotta get it on that nice thick vinyl and I can't wait to, to listen to it on nice thick vinyl. Yeah, it's amazing. CDs have disappeared and albums are back. Oh, isn't it? That's, back. that's my whole point. My son has a turntable. He's listening to my records. He's going out and buying really? records of his own. Somehow right. all the technology in between has disappeared. And yet what's old is now new again. And I agree that's with right. you. There's something about, you know, I, I drive around um, and I have my, my iPhone with my music on it and I'm exercising. And I can't help but think, I always hear Tom Petty do... Um, 
what, what's not not what, what's the Tom Petty song that you know from back in the ninety? Come on, I'm just blanking. Don't come around here no more. No, no, like, no later than that. Later than that. It's it's the one where at the end of the song he goes, uh, "This is the end of side one." For oh, you. flip to size two. Yeah, we will Good take a pause so other people can get up and flip it to the other side. And yeah. I'm thinking. There's or a cassette. Of it, he said for on a cassette or a record, we want to yeah. allow time for them to flip it over. Yeah. And there's a generation of people who have, have been no idea what fever. he's talking about. I don't about. know. It could have been full moon fever. It was full moon fever, but what was yeah. the what was the what was the hit off full moon fever? Why am I blanking? I'm just uh, I, I'd have to look in my phone because I have a million of them. But, oh, it, uh, it was yeah, I can't I can't it was the hit song with the great guitar riff. I, I, yeah, it's gonna drive me batty. It wasn't the waiting. You're going to drive me no. crazy with this. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to uh, look it up while we're talking because I have to get okay. the answer to it. But well, by the way, the yeah. Wildflowers album and there's multiple albums. Uh, my buddy just just got it and it's just absolutely amazing. So you, you take that long to look up Full Moon Fever. I can I can I can name that uh, in <laughs> in two notes. Uh, by the way, how is that coming back? As that show's coming back on television. Yes. So uh, into the not into the great wide open running down a dream. Let's see. Oh, running down fall. a dream. It's running down, down a dream. Running down a dream was the song. Yeah, you know Jeff Lynn uh, was a writer on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the song, and then you turn it over, and it starts with the feel a whole lot better. Yeah. yeah. Feel a whole uh, lot better. So, so real quick, because uh, I know you have to get back to to managing the thousands. No, I'm actually going for a haircut. Well, it's about time. Getting, <laughs> getting, getting it colored again. It's, I don't get my hair colored. This is all natural. <laughs> How is it now? Yeah. You, you know, you, you, I, I always ask and you think when you were, when we were 24 and 23 and working together and just showing up every day, just trying to be happy. And then you become an adult and you have children and you have responsibilities. And if I said, could you see then what you are now? And if I said to you now, what do you see years from now? What would those answers be? Did you see yourself in a position of managing hundreds no. of people? No, never wanted it. And did you want it? No, never wanted it. Never wanted it. I was always, so here's what I'll say. I always wanted to be part of the creative, right? And, and I've maintained that and I've continued to be that. I didn't want to be a program director that was a bean counter. Well, I have to deal with his budgets and all that. Okay, budgets are part of my job, okay? But, but, as long you know it's it's pretty easy frankly um but i'm part of the creative and this past year you know from a technology standpoint from a creativity standpoint i've never worked harder in radio in my life this past year okay so i'm quite proud of that um but but in the future i don't know you know eventually i'll get out of the whole managing thing and i'll get back to just the creative and 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 I'll do some cool stuff that you know. When taking you back, when we leave the studio after doing five and a half hours with Mike and the Mad Dog, and we had a great show, felt so good about it. You know, just such a sense of accomplishment when you'd walk out of that studio. And I try to tell my producers and associate producers that if they're part of a great show, they really should feel the same way. Because if they have skin in the game and they're a part of that process, and um, that's how they should feel, right? As opposed to, all right, another one of the books, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, I know I have a lot left. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm not wanting, you know, I love golf, but I'm not going to play golf every day. I got to keep doing the creative, whether it's getting back to writing, whether it's podcasts, whether it's producing, whether it's a broadcasting school or whatever, teaching, giving back. So there's a lot, I got a lot left. So um, we'll see what the future. And the last thing I'll say, if, if, is it finances aside, I'm not talking about anything other than a moment in time. Is there a moment in time that you reflect on and say, if I could live at that moment in perpetuity, that would be it? Is it the early stages of Mike and the Mad Dog? Is it just getting started at WFAN? Is it the early stages of Sirius? You know, as strange as it may sound, for me, it may be, and, and you'd be able to relate to this, I worked with another New York legend, a guy named Bill Mazur. Oh, and and as bizarre as it was, and people would always say, oh, he's this, he's that. I was young, I was new to the business, and he treated me as well as I could ask to be treated. And so I reflect on it very favorably, and I say, those moments when I didn't have the responsibility of family and everything else, 
I, I could relive that moment. Is there a moment in time that you could relive over and over? Well, you know, that's a great question. You know, um, I became friendly with Bill Belichick when he was with the Jets. Now you and, drop the names of people that are still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to complete the circle. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so when they went on their first Super Bowl run, I produced the games for Westwood One, all their playoff games. And I was doing the Fox Sports radio show at night on Sunday night. And after each playoff game, um, Bill would sit down with me in the coach's locker room and do a long form interview. And so as I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, that was amazing to think, you know, um, who Bill became in terms of the greatest NFL football coach of all time. And, and I was in that position to do that. I'll never forget, you know, we talk about Parcells. There was a time when he went back to coaching with the Patriots and, and he calls me and, and, and I call him and say, hey, Bill, I'm coming up, you know, wanted to maybe stop down, say hello before the game. He's like, yeah, what time you get here? And I said, I'll probably get to the stadium about 8 a.m. for a 1 p.m. game. He said, come down to the coach's locker room. Okay. Well, you show up down there and they're like, they're ready to, to throw you in the clink. Okay. You're looking for Bill Park. Who the hell are you? Yeah, looking for you? You're with the Jets. Get the <laughs> hell out of it. Well, long story short, Bill's person comes out, gets me, brings me in. And now I'm sitting in the coach's locker room, Bill Parcells. Ray Perkins and Will McDonough just shooting the breeze. Now, Will McDonough was the original NFL insider. Yep. Nobody was better. Nobody will ever be better than Willie, right? And he had the Mac on and all that. And, and he's Boston through and through. Okay, you don't, get, you don't get more New England, more Boston than Will McDonough. And I'm just sitting there, fly on the wall, you know, Perkins, Parcells, McDonough, just listening to this. And it was just a point in time where I was like, wow, I am really lucky to be here right now and to be able to listen to this. And then every time I'd see Will McDonough after that, hey, kid, how you doing? You know, and, um, and to see the success his, his children have had um, has been amazing. But, yeah, I don't... I don't know. You know, you know, Eddie Johnson said something interesting. He said, I had the best times of my life when I had no money, no bills, no worries. And all I had to do was play basketball. So I'll say the same thing, that that was the best time of my life when I was playing Little League baseball and football and basketball and stickball. And you just go outside and you don't have anything but a stick and a ball and and, you know, and all that, those, yeah, I, I, you know, um, youth is wasted on the young, but those, those were the times, those were the best times of my life. When I was the only kid to hit the ball over the fence in Little League, you know, that was a moment that, that I'll never forget. Can so, that be corroborated? Do we have any? Yeah, yeah ask Charlie, uh, Dr. Charles DeTorres, Sonoma, <laughs> California, call him up anytime uh. you want, because he and I, he and I were best friends. And every time he'd show up, we never played on the same baseball team. They'd say, Charlie, Stevie did this. And, and like, what are you going to do today? No, we were best friends. So he's like, son of a bitch. He hit <laughs> it over the fence. Nobody hits it over the fence. It's Scotty Field. Grand slam home run on Father's Day. Really? And who was the pitcher? I'll bet you remember I, he, the pitcher. Kid was good. I'll bet you remember the pitcher. Yeah, I forget his name, but he was on the Pacers. They wore ugly, ugly bluish uniforms. High, 3-2, two, two outs, high pitch, left center field fence. Amazing how those high points stay with you, isn't it? Uh, and yeah. by the way, I'm, I'm glad you could come to bring this full circle, finishing up our conversation with somebody else that you probably should have said, rest in peace, Will McDonough. You know, you, you got to the living for a little while. I don't, I don't know. You know, I just, I think about Will a lot. You know, I, I do. And uh, he's been gone. He's been gone a while now, but wow. You oh, know, yeah. I, I just think, I just think, that that you know we talk about and how important the nfl has been to my career in terms of what i've been able to accomplish you know um yeah that was that was a game changer for me you know i, I will share with you before we go and will mcdonough i think passed away in maybe 2002 somewhere in that neighborhood okay um i worked with will mcdonough on a radio show and worked with him the day he passed away really yeah 
the wow. day he passed away, I worked with him that morning. And then he wow. died on the treadmill later that day. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's in the world of you can't make it up. And it was with Bill Parcells. You remember I did his radio yeah, show. Yeah, did the show with him. Yeah, um, and, and he wanted Will to be part of it because he was, you know, he always wanted that the guy he was really comfortable with, the foil. Yeah. Did a show that morning, and later that day we learned he had passed away. And you're oh. right. He was the first NFL insider. Um, yeah. And now it's a burgeoning business with Chris Mortensen and all the other guys that have become, you know, famous for it. All right, we got to go. I know you got to get your hair cut. So I'm going to yeah. get you out of here. I'm glad yeah. you could spend some time with me. Let, let's well, not do it again. It. Let's not do it again. No, let's not do it again because, frankly, I don't like talking about myself this much. You know, I think I've hit. Yeah, where, now I know like, I've, I've hit the yearly quota. As when's the last time you were interviewed? Oh, well, I was actually, I did, you know, I'm, I'm on the uh, advisory board for um, the Dan Patrick Broadcasting School at Full Sail University. So last week I did a two-hour seminar for the kids down there, and I was interviewed during the seminar. So, yeah. Well, you're, you know. a cele- you're, you're a celebrity. If you made it to this podcast, you're a celebrity, apparently. Well, I feel like this is giving back. <laughs> <laughs> Charity for me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Steve Cohen again as we reflect on the history of sports radio. For anybody that's a sports fan, I know they can appreciate that. And even if you didn't, we'll be back with another one next week. You can get the podcast on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you'll join me next Thursday. I'm Bruce Murray. SiriusXM Podcasts.